Welcome to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept UK. Being a Christian charity based here in the UK focused on helping you to know God deeply to live differently, we have discussions with some of the greatest modern men and women of God about how their relationship with God's Word, the Bible, has transformed their lives. If you are encouraged by any of the messages in this podcast, it would help us out enormously if you could leave us a review. Or better yet, get involved with God's Word for yourself at precept.org.uk. The opinions and views shared in this podcast do not necessarily reflect that of Precept UK. Now, without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode. Well, I am really uh, delighted to welcome John McKinnon to the Bible and Me podcast today. John grew up and was educated in Scotland and after being employed in the printing industry for six years, has been involved extensively with Christian mission and evangelism. He is a Bible teacher, an evangelist, a pastor, a father, a grandfather, a chaplain to Clyde Football Club. Uh, He enjoys football, obviously, golf cars, reading and cooking for friends. He is married to Linda and together they have three children, Catriona, Andrew and <coughs> Alistair and four grandchildren. And I'm very jealous of that, I have to say. And uh, so, uh, John, welcome to the Bible and Me podcast. Thank you so much for being with me today. Well, thank you, Nigel. It's a real privilege, an absolute privilege to be with you. And I do rejoice in being Papa. It's a wonderful privilege to be a grandfather. <laughs> Is that is that what they call you? The, the the children call my grandchildren call me Papa. Uh, so, which is uh, just a, a delight every time I hear them say that. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Well, that is just great. Um, I'm not quite there yet, but hope to be in in the. You know. <laughs> anyway, John, um, how did you come to faith in Christ, and why why are you a follower, a disciple of Jesus? Why is that? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Nigel. It's, uh, it, it actually goes back to my late teens. Uh, I was at that time had three interests, football, females and fast cars. And I had no intention whatsoever uh, or any high and holy intention whatsoever uh, when I went to church uh, of encountering Jesus. That wasn't part of the plan. But there was uh, a couple of churches nearby who had very significant youth groups. Uh, youth clubs, youth fellowships, all the, they were all the rage at that time. Uh, and this particular church had one that was full of uh, wonderful looking women. And uh, so I actually went to church for the unholy reason uh, of seeking uh, to try and be on uh, the pool. Uh, but gloriously, uh, God in his grace uh, had other plans. And uh, so I found myself amongst an incredible group of young people, many of them who were believers, and many like myself at that point were not believers. And uh, what happened, uh, I still remember very clearly one night, someone was preaching in John's gospel, John chapter 10, it's still vivid to me. Uh, and particularly verse 10, the thief has come to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I have come that you may have life, life in all its fullness. Uh, and it's interesting because even at that stage in life, I was still amongst, you know, very sort of confident, uh, you know, very happy and living life to the full as far as I understood it at that time, but had a deep fear of death and no answer to the question. And as he was preaching and speaking that night from John's gospel, I just became very aware of a real conviction within me uh, that I didn't know the Jesus he was speaking about. Uh, I didn't uh, understand what it is. Uh, to live with him and to live forever 
Uh, and there were lots of things going on within me. I was aware of my own sinful living and I was convicted about that. But I was also aware of the fact that here was someone in a person of Jesus who could take and transform. Uh, and so what happened, in some respects, it seemed a little bit unfairly because, you know, I thought they're going to invite some kind of response. They're going to do something like that. But they didn't. They actually turned around and said, here's what we're going to do next. We're going to have a prayer meeting. And if you would like to stay for the prayer meeting, then you can stay on and join in the prayer meeting. And if you don't, then that's okay. Our time's over and, you know, we'll catch up with you another time. And so my first great decision in spiritual matters was do I stay for a prayer meeting? I'd never been to a prayer meeting in my life. And so my first big decision was do I stay for a prayer meeting or do I go? And of course, I, I still wasn't at that point thinking, you know, high holy thoughts. Uh, and so I thought, well, I'll stay. And as I sat in a prayer meeting, uh, I kind of ran out of posters to read and started to focus on people praying. And as I focused on people praying and listening to people praying, I suddenly realized here were people who knew someone I didn't. Here were people who it, it wasn't about this room we were in. They were connected uh, with God. I was listening to their prayers. Uh, and I just remember being very, very broken and realizing that I didn't know him. And I needed to know him. And if truth be told, probably Nigel, at that stage, uh, I didn't want to die and go to hell. I, I was I had this clear picture in my head that that, that was not what I wanted. Uh, but I kind of wanted Jesus at that sake, you know, just to save my neck. And it took me a little while to then go and speak to a few folks and say, you know, what does it mean to yeah. really put your trust in Jesus? What does it mean to really follow him? Uh, and so I did that. And, and became a Christian, gave my life uh, over to Jesus Christ and, and started what would be the roller coaster journey of faith, uh, of learning what it is to, to live for him, to walk with him. And, and I think you go through that process, don't you, of we, we long for the salvation which God gives us almost to save our own neck. But then we realize it's not about saving our neck. It's about realizing who he is and falling in love with him and learning more and more and more what yep. it is just to live life with him. Yep. And of course, the second part of what you asked was that whole business of why do you follow him? And I think that's been the journey that the more uh, I've got to know him in his word, the more I've got to know him in prayer, the more I've got to uh, experience him in the body of Christ and the family of God's people, the more I've just wanted to be obedient to what he says mm -hmm. uh, and to just deepen that relationship, knowing that uh, he, he gives us that fullness of life right here and now and for all eternity. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the eternal life began, you know, right back then. And it's going on all the way through, you know, life as it is here and it will continue in a day yet to come. So that that's part of that whole journey and coming to faith. Yeah, that, that is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. I, I love what you said about, uh, you know, I was there actually because they had some very pretty women, uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> I was just wondering, you know, that would be a great sort of uh, evangelistic sort of tool, wouldn't it? Right. All the, all the pretty women, come to our church, you know, you don't, you don't even have to be Christians. Just come to the church because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna use you to draw in, draw in men. But uh, and I love what you said about the question that you asked there. You know, what does it what does it mean? to be a follower of Jesus? I think that's such a brilliant question because, yeah, what, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And, and so it, as I guess as people sort of answered that question, you said, okay, well, all right, now I'm, I'm sort of understanding a little bit more what this is all about. And I think that's a great, great question. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure I've 
necessarily often been asked that question. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? You know, how, how does that work itself out? So I think it's a great question. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it's it's a life of adventure and and um, and uh, of, of discovering more and more and more about what an incredible God we serve. Absolutely. It's incredible. Now, now, what was your life like um, growing up? Sort of home, yeah. school? What was that like? Sure thing. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because my mum my and dad weren't regular attenders, you know. It, so I didn't grow up within the kind of Christian home where people would be familiar with, you know, daily readings or kind of family worship or all going to church together. But it was part of an era where I, I, I always called them the sent ones. Some of the listeners might remember this, you know, where even if your family didn't go to church, they sent you uh, and you all get sent along for Sunday school uh, and for Boys Brigade. You know, the Boys Brigade was a huge influence. It, it's only now, as I look back, I realise how influential those Sunday school teachers, those Boys Brigade officers, uh, those youth group leaders were. Uh, and so I, I'm one of four boys, you know, so uh, mum and dad, uh, you know, had a family of, you know, four sons and, uh, you know, two older than me, one younger than me. And we all were sent along to all these activities and all played a part. And as you can imagine, you know, uh, you, you've got the start of your own gang there when there's four of you anyway, you know, so you mess with one, you mess with four. Uh, but the reality was we were, uh, you know, we're so thankful for all of that. You know, it, it was a good home. It was a safe, secure, stable home. Uh, we were well provided for. I, I sometimes look back and think, you know, uh, my mother had died some number of years, of years ago now. She did miracles in, in, you know, feeding, you know, hungry mouths. And we were also that house in the street where every other kid could come to the door. Uh, and, you know, if they were there over, you know, lunchtime, dinner time, they'd just get fed as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it was just that kind of that kind of environment and always thankful for that community. Uh, and again, you, you look back and realize I learned so much of community and of hospitality, you know, from the home that I grew up in. And uh, it was a real privilege. But as I say, I, again, we probably all got to that at different ages and stages when, you know, we just weren't going to go to those things anymore. And and we never get any big pushback on that. We were allowed just to kind of, you know, we could let that go, uh, take up another interest, whatever it might be. But I was so thankful that I ended up going back into that, uh, you know, in my kind of, you know, 17, 18 years yeah. of age in that time and being amongst it again. School was a very different animal for me entirely. I, and again, four boys, my, my oldest, oldest brother, uh, very bright academic, won a scholarship to a private school, uh, you know, went on to uh, become, you know, a senior in education and, uh, you know, great sharp tack. Graham, uh, my, my brother just below me, uh, uh, you know, was uh, known as the Mad Haggis uh, because he was just, you know, football, didn't start fights, but finished them, uh, you know, and he was my hero. You know, he, w- he was my hero at school because we were both at the same school. And then my younger brother was very bright and articulate. And so Graham and I were probably the two that school wasn't the environment in which we were going to thrive. Uh, because you know th- there wasn't much academic interest there, uh, and so th- there were there were all manner of gifts and skills that you know come to light uh, as you move out of that. But I always remember thinking school is just one of these things I need to get through, uh, you know, and you just have to kind of go in, do your time. You know, if you could skip classes, you would skip them. If you could be a- anything physical in terms of football or athletics or anything other than a classroom, uh, you would do that, and. Uh, but again, you look back in school, uh, and because you ended up sort of with one or two of the, the you know, the troublemakers, if you like, uh, you would still, you know, join in in that. And it was only after I became a Christian that I discovered again 
how many people are involved? You know, very, very few of us will ever move somebody from a place of unbelief to a place of belief in one, you know, go. We always end up being used by God all the way along the journey. And I discovered after I became a Christian, I had an accounts teacher who I, I was an obnoxious pupil for her. I really was. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, I, I felt she must hate me. And I certainly hated her and didn't like her at all, gave her a hard time. And I discovered after I became a Christian that this accounts teacher had been praying for me. And she was a lovely Christian lady, I discovered that later, uh, who basically just, you know, her, her response to obnoxious pupils was just to really pray for them and just say, Lord, take this young man and do something special with his life. And I found that out after school. But in terms of school, I, I left uh, as soon as I could. In fact, I, I was a compulsory fifth year in the sense that my birthday didn't, you know, fall early enough to let me go in the summer of fourth year. Yeah. And so I remember a teacher saying to me, you know, McKinnon, you have to stay till Christmas. And then I did, you know, the incredible line, but you will be leaving at Christmas. <laughs> so so, so, so I, it, it was it was not the best, uh, no, you know, shaping well, and uh, informing for me. But Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I sort of uh, chime with what you're saying about on the academic front, certainly. I was, I was far more sporty than academic myself. Mm -hmm. And being one of four boys, my sister has four boys, and we have three sons. Um, my eldest son came home as a little boy and he would knock on the door coming back from school or whatever and say, Mom, I need you to do this for me now. Uh, my second son would come in uh, completely different um, with a flower and say, Mommy, I bought you a flower. And my third son would walk into the door and say, Mom, I've got to have some food. What's what's there in the fridge to eat? Uh, and you know we're twenty five years down the line, and and nothing's changed. <laughs> anyway, now <clears throat> on leaving school, you worked in the printing industry uh, before going to Bible Training Institute in Glasgow. Uh, what took you from being employed in printing to going to Bible College? Mm, yeah. Well, again, when I left school, it was interesting. One of the teachers said to me, you know, what are you going to do with yourself? You know, and I said, look, I'll, I'll talk my way into a job. Uh, that was the answer I gave him. And I went, I love cars. And I went for two interviews. One was in the Albion car plant, which I, and I got offered that job, but it was kind of going down the tubes. It wasn't looking good. And I also went for an interview with a printing trade, uh, a print finisher, uh, box maker uh, in the uh, the printing industry. And I got offered that job as well. And so I had two jobs to choose from. And I went to the printing industry. And looking back on that, I'm very thankful. I did my four-year apprenticeship, did you know a couple of years as a journeyman. And I'm very thankful for, I came to faith in the second year of my apprenticeship. So I'd left school, I was in my apprenticeship, I, when you're the apprentice printer and the posters are far from Christian and the environment was pretty rough uh, and ready, uh, you, you get exposed to a lot fairly early on. And of course, I became a Christian during that time. And when I became a Christian, uh, I thought, you know, I've got to go and tell the guys at the work I've become a Christian. Well, you know, that, that was good preparation for any ministry because they were merciless. I mean, they they had a field day, you know, with this young guy who'd become a Christian. And uh, I was always very thankful for factory floor 
you know, apologetics, you know, trying to live out your life, your Christian faith uh, in, in the factory floor. And it taught me so much uh, about what it is in later life to start being involved uh, in ministry. And so that, that was my, my, my grounding. And uh, what had happened during that time when I became, came to faith and then having never applied myself at, at, at school, uh, a number of folks in the local church said, look, John, you know, you, you're bright. You can articulate things. They realized there was a gift to communicate my faith. They realized uh, that I'd gone from a person who never studied to now always, you know, reading God's word or looking at, you know, reading, you know, some book related to God's word. Uh, and so they, they encouraged me to go to evening classes uh, for the, in the, the Bible Training Institute. And I did that in the evening. And so I would work, printing was, was pretty much Monday to Saturday and you did two late nights, Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday morning. And uh, so I would go uh, Monday, I would literally go straight from the, uh, the print works, you know, to the Bible college. And I would study in the evenings. And I discovered that the more I did that, just the hungrier I became to know more uh, of God's word and more of God's ways and uh, to what it is to, to live that and to, you know, share that. Uh, and folks around me in the church recognized that they started to give me opportunity. I look back at that and I think, bless them, what a risk they were taking. Mm -hmm. uh, but they started to give me opportunities to, to speak at events. That's where I, it was one of those events that I met my former teacher, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd go out and do, uh, you know, different kind of, you know, meetings with one or two folks in the life of the church. And so there was a sense in which the church started to identify there is within you uh, a preaching gift, there's an evangelist gift, you've got a, a real heart for communicating the faith and for sharing uh, your faith. And so I, I, I kind of looked, the university wasn't going to be open for me unless I was going to go back and do a whole stack of, uh, you know, kind of schoolwork, and I didn't have the heart for that. Uh, but what happened was the, the Bible Training Institute, where I'd been in the evenings, they had seen something as well. And so they said, look, you know, you're exactly the kind of fit for that. And Jeffrey Grogan was the principal of that. It's a great, oh, dear, dear saint uh, of God. And, and so I went, I got interviewed for the Bible Training Institute. By that time, I, I was married. We had our first child. And, uh, you know, we married young Linda and I with our first child. And uh, it was going to be a huge debt. But we really sensed God was in that. And it was a great adventure of faith to we were buying our first house and we just said, look, if you're calling us to this Lord, we'll give all this up if need be. But the Lord actually met every every bill, every payment, all the way through three years uh, of full-time study. Uh, and it was a joy, not, not in any kind of pride sense, but in the sense to go in, having done very little uh, studies, to sort of come out winning various academic awards, you know, during that time. Wow. Uh, but it was only because you suddenly had a hunger yeah, yeah, know, yeah. for the thing you were involved in, you know. So That's amazing. Now, on leaving Glasgow Bible Institute, you spent from 1988 to 2003, some 15 years, in a number of different Christian mission organisations, mm. including Edinburgh City Mission, Linlithgow Young People's Project, Scripture Union, and the Network Evangelism Trust. Uh, give us a taste for the sort of work you're involved in over this time. Uh, and what did you learn about the Lord and what God was doing in Scotland spiritually over these years? So a yeah. few, few different questions there. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, yeah, looking back on it, it's quite remarkable, actually, because when I, when I finished my time at the BTI, there was got a bit of pressure around to maybe just immediately go into a local church and to be involved in some kind of pastoral ministry or some kind of uh, outreach ministry within the life of local church. But uh, the, the Edinburgh City Mission was very brief. It was a, a good learning curve. And that took me to Linlithgow, where uh, I started to realise that the, the, the burning 
heart that I had was for those that were outside the church. Uh, and, I, and I love my church family uh, and you know, love being a part of that, but a real heart for those who were not yet a part of it. And, and because I'd been involved with a lot of you know, young people and uh, I started early door to be involved in really what now would be called detached youth work. But at that time, there wasn't such a thing as detached youth work. So I was doing that before it was invented. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I was really out in the streets working uh, with the, the gang culture that was prominent at the time, uh, working with the, the drug culture. Uh, that was prominent at the time. So I was involved in a lot of kind of Operation Blade where we were trying to kind of get a lot of the uh, the knife culture, address all that, you know, out, out the gangs. I was involved in the 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 kind of the rave scene, you know, where a lot of the hallucinogenic drug situations were going on at that time. And just trying to reach young people. And so we did that in a partnership uh, with a number of churches. I founded the Lenithgo Young People's Project. And, and we, we kind of tried to reach out to the, the young people in there unapologetically in the name of Jesus, but at the same time, uh, you know, just meeting them exactly where they are and, and, and working uh, away. And so that, it was that work that, and, and that's still going today. I'm so thrilled to bits that that, that movement that started there is still going in terms of its street-based work amongst young people. But that led to more and more the recognition of, of the gift of the evangelist and want to communicate the Christian faith. I, and at that time, still very much amongst young people and also in young offenders institutes in some of the prisons. And so uh, I was involved uh, in that kind of area and Scripture Union were looking to have a national evangelist. I, and so I went to Scripture Union as the national evangelist. The strength of that role was that it was I was still able to be in Lilithgow where I was. So I was still able to serve and see that grow and, and see the right people come in. And I've always tried to have succession in, in ministry. And then. I, when I was working there, we were able to work with uh, schools workers, field workers, and connect a lot of that to the life of the local church. Because sometimes in those days, Scripture Union, they'd be doing some great stuff in the school, but it wasn't connected to the local church. And so the evangelist was able to bring them all together. Uh, and we created you know, a lot of things called Christian Focus Weeks, where we were in the school taking all manner of classes, Christian musicians doing music classes, social education classes. I was doing a lot of drug awareness. Uh, we were doing all manner of things uh, in there. In fact, it seems sometimes the only place you couldn't get in was the religious education. Uh, but we did, we did get in there occasionally. Uh, but, uh, and then we'd, we'd wrap that up with mission in the life of the local church. Uh, and so we, we kind of worked with the local church uh, in terms of how they could reach young people and how they could then, you know, disciple young people who'd come to faith. And, and, and that, those were exciting times. And then out of that, I started to realize that more and more, a lot of our churches, we talk now about a culture of evangelism. Back then, we used to talk about strategies for evangelism. And so I started to work more and more with some of the churches, even in my time at Scripture Union, and how they could roll out a, a kind of more effective strategy for evangelism. And that led to working with leadership teams uh, and a lifelong love of leadership. Uh, it, it led to uh, working with churches to begin to think about ways in which they, over a period of two or three years, could begin to transition. Uh, and so, you know, the Network Evangelism Trust was birthed out of that because that was doing a lot of more, in, in a sense, consultancy work with churches where you were beginning to walk yeah. with them for the long haul. Uh, and begin just to kind of try and uh, and embed, uh, I think, culture of evangelism, yeah. culture of mission within the life of the local <clears throat> church. And and it was interesting because probably when I look back at that, you, you asked that little question about the, the kind of spiritual state of Scotland. I think probably, you know, go back then, some of the churches, 
it, it was already changing. The kind of landscape was changing from the days when the church could still pretty much do a lot of things that people might come to. So, for instance, we could do children's holiday clubs and have 150, 200 kids, you know, at a holiday club. You know, that was not unusual. But you could see that starting to change in places where, you know, less and less the, the church was connected with the community and less and less were people sending, you know, children, young people along to anything. Uh, and and, and I sense the, the spiritual state was that I think we've, we've reaped the harvest of a lot of that. You look at a lot of churches now who they don't believe in the Bible, they don't preach the Bible, they don't preach Jesus, uh, you know, the gospel is non-existent, it's a very nominal church. Uh, and I think you could see some of that uh, back then, but you could see when you look, you look, you know, you fast forward to where we are today, and you see how the nominal church is, you know, principally dying off. Uh, the interesting side of that is that the kind of lively gospel-centered, Bible-centered churches, you know, wherever there is a church like that, it's alive and kicking. Yeah. But it's got a real job to connect and communicate to a culture that has changed so much. Yeah. I, and, uh, you know, and, and, and the cancel culture and everything else that we're in. So I, I think, you know, it, it was interesting just to watch, you know, minister in the midst of that. I think probably some of the edginess of being out and about there, uh, you know, on the streets, in the courts, uh, in the prisons, uh, that was probably just a reality that the church didn't have yeah. a voice there. Yeah. Uh, and so we were trying to create that voice. And, uh, not not everywhere. I mean, in other places they would, they would have had similar work, and so, uh, so yeah. It was just it was an interesting journey uh, in the midst of all of that, uh, and I think uh, we we probably were just constantly learning new things, you know, mm. uh, at every turn. Like, you, sometimes you, you would look at it and think, I wish we could have almost kind of written the plan for this, but the reality is, very rarely can we do it. We can usually write about what happened. Yeah, and and it wasn't we sat down and thought this is what we need to do and that will give us that result. It was just we had to learn as we went. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, good on you for that that great work of reaching out to those different um, types of people and and seeking to spread the gospel. Now, you became a lead pastor of Caldwell Baptist Church in two thousand three and stood down from this role just recently. Actually, um, what have been some of the highs and lows of ministry there? Um, how did you seek to make Jesus known in the local community? Uh, and what did you see the Lord do during your time there? Yeah, it's it, tremendous privilege uh, to have uh, led. I'm still part of the, the life of Calderwood Baptist Church. I'm still part of the leadership of Calderwood Baptist Church. But you're right, I've stepped down from my, my, my role as uh, lead pastor. And I'll explain a little bit of that in the journey. But uh, yeah, Calderwood uh, was every, every church that uh, my wife and I would get called to always started off quite a small church and by the grace of God we were just part of leadership teams and you know ministry teams that just saw the church grow that happened in Lilithgow where we were uh, where we we had to move building three times to accommodate numbers uh, and at Calderwood we went to it was interesting because I, I knew it was time to sort of come off the road as it were uh, and so we started to pray about different opportunities and when we made that public quite a few of the big churches had been in touch with me because they'd known me and they said John you know we'd love to have you as part of the staff and I, I it was tempting but we had we had this nagging voice <laughs> uh, you know from from God uh, you know really just saying to us you know I, I want you to go you know to the to the small place you know and uh, when we went to Calderwood it, we had a couple of friends there uh, who 
had stayed and you know seen seen the, the church had been declining at that time and he invited me just to come and to preach uh, just to encourage them and I went along just to preach to encourage them and you know maybe a congregation at the time of about 40 and not many uh, young children uh, and in the middle of preaching a message I just had this straight sense you know almost an argument going on between God and myself while I'm preaching you know of you're meant to be here this is the place I want you. And I'm kind of, you know, trying to preach my message and saying, well, you know, put that thought behind you, keep going. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I always used to, uh, you know, when, when Linda and I uh, were driven there together on the way back, we'd, I'd always trust my wife's gut. And I'm, I didn't say anything to her. I just said, you know, I said, what do you think of that experience today? And she just looked at me and she said, I think we're supposed to be there. And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> and so we uh, we went uh, to Calderwood. It was small. We, we were, you know, uh, our children at that time. In fact, uh, our middle child, oldest boy, and my our, our youngest child, uh, a boy. The two of them actually still stayed at Linlithgow for a year to finish off school while we moved to Calderwood because the church they were a part of uh, had hundreds and here was a church of 40 and we're sitting there thinking, how's this going to go? But we, we, we went through and great leadership team, spent a lot of time with the leadership team, and we started to just really think about ways in which we could engage our community. Uh, we started to engage that community through families, uh, so we, we did some really good uh, work amongst families in our community. Uh, we started a creche when there was no babies, uh, you know, so we didn't wait till they came, we just set up for a creche, prayed to the Lord, and he brought children, and he's never let us down since, he keeps bringing, uh, you know, babies along. Uh, we started to, as we were working with families, we started to uh, see places in our community where there was need, uh, and so we, we started uh, a little cupboard, which was really just for one family at the time we were working with, to give them food, and from that, it's now grown to... Uh, a food bank that has got its own warehouse uh, that serves a community of 90,000 people that distributes through six different churches uh, that don't just give out food parcels, but in actual fact invite everyone in uh, so that they can have some lunch, they can be offered prayer, they can be unapologetically, we can share the name of Jesus. We've set up uh, clothing stores, you know, debt, you know, uh, management programs. We've set up uh, job clubs and, uh, you know, you know, job search, interview skills for everyone. And wow. everything we did, we just kind of said, let's just do this unapologetically in the name of Jesus. Whatever we do, we must keep the gospel at the centre. Yeah. And so we really started family engagement, community engagement. Uh, the church started to grow. Uh, we saw the Lord grow the church uh, so that, you know, now there's maybe about, you know, if they're all there, there's about 180 to 200 uh, or so folks. We outgrew our building very quickly. Uh, acquired a building uh, next door not that that helped with worship it just gave us a community presence so we opened up a coffee shop which is open you know uh, five six days a week in the in the heart of the community uh, so real yeah. real growth yeah that's amazing good on you i mean that's fantastic responding, well, responding to the needs of community which then gives you an opportunity to to talk to them about jesus yeah that's fantastic everything gave us a platform uh, and it was that that led to people coming to faith and, and and we were just listening for god and we were a bit frustrated because we kind of thought you know we'd love to grow the congregation you know numerically and uh, seeking to grow them spiritually obviously but we, we were always restricted for space and we didn't want to be out of the community yeah. we were in. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. so we, God in his grace again, he's so gracious with us, isn't he? And, and, and what happened was one or two other churches started to come to us and say, 
you know, could you help us? And so we, we replanted uh, a church uh, in Glasgow and they went from seven, you know, now to about 50 or 60 and they're just planting another congregation. Uh, and then we, we, we started to work with two other uh, congregations to try and help them uh, revitalize. And I'd always had a heart for training up uh, young men for ministry. Yeah. And so we were, we were working at that and releasing them into work that we were doing. So yeah. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now you stood down, as you said, as, as lead pastor. Um, what are you involved with now? Yeah, a, a couple of years ago, I started to, I was involved with the, the word one-to-one. Yeah. And so the word one-to-one is a, it's got a great vision. Its vision is to raise up joyful Bible sharers all over the world. And of course that just resonates with my heart. And so the word one-to-one, uh, they were looking to, they, I was involved with them in providing a trainer for Scotland. And, and so that was a, a, another friend of mine who was involved in doing that. But as he was going to go back into education, we sensed there was a great opportunity in the word one-to-one to really just broaden this out. UK, Ireland, more and more opportunities arising overseas. And so in conversation with them, uh, we felt it was the right time. I'd been looking, my associate of eight years, uh, great young man, and we were longing for the right time for him to take the reins. And so in conversation with the word one-to-one and with uh, Thomas, my, my associate, we were able to get to a place whereby I could step down, he could step in, and that would release me nationally uh, to be the, the training director for the Word One to One UK and Ireland, and also uh, involved in the development of what we're doing uh, overseas. At the same time as that, a passion for life was beginning to, to launch again and seek to try and get traction. And of course, a passion for life uh, is not just about the month of mission in 2022, although there is that, but it's about a lifestyle of evangelism. And so there was a, a, an opportunity in there to take my sort of you know, training director and evangelism, if you like, skills into that and to work with them in working with church leaders and developing the culture of mission in providing personal evangelism training resources for churches all over uh, the UK and Ireland. And, and so basically uh, one job became two jobs. It's quite funny, some of, some of the congregation have said, are you enjoying your retirement? Uh, and, the, and it's only when you start to explain what they're doing, you say, you're doing two different jobs. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're loving that, you know, and so I'm now, uh, as I say, involved with the, the word one-to-one and also a passion for life and really just seeking to equip, encourage, resource the church throughout the UK and Ireland in yeah. evangelism and mission. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. We'll be coming back to talk about the word uh, in a moment. Yeah, sure. Now, now you are the chaplain of Clyde Football Club, I understand. Oh, yeah. Now, um, <laughs> With God on their side and on your side, they've, they've got to be top of the Premier League, haven't they? Um, what's it like being a chaplain at a football club? Um, where are they in the league? And have you seen people come to faith? <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the hardest uh, things about uh, being a football chaplain uh, is that you've got to work hard at communicating to the directors, the manager, the, the, the players, and all the fans that you are not God's talisman, yeah. uh, and that this does not mean. <laughs> yes, and we if they win. lose, it's all your fault. <laughs> Absolutely. So the the, the, the reality is uh, that uh, you you're there really for uh, the good, the bad, the happy, the sad in the life of the you know the football club. Uh, and so you, I have tremendous uh, privilege, tremendous access, you know, to to fans, to players, to management, to 
uh, board of directors to a community foundation that you know does all manner of good works uh, in the name of the club. Uh, and the, the, in terms of the, the football team itself, we've, we've just done the great escape and avoided the playoffs so that we can stay in the division that we're in, you know, so uh, that, that tells you about, you know, my, my, you know, my success uh, <laughs> as a chaplain. However, having said that, we did win promotion into the division that we're in, you know, two, three seasons back and we've managed to stay there. Uh, so, so that's encouraging. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the, the life of a football chaplain is an interesting one because uh, a lot of it, it is reactive uh, rather than, than, than proactive. Uh, but you, there are great opportunities to be proactively involved and engaged with, uh, you know, the, the, the players and the management. And so I've looked to do that, done a bit of that through the foundation. Uh, haven't, I've got one or two folks that are involved with it who are Christian. Uh, and I've had one or two great conversations with a number of folks and, and one or two folks who have uh, who are maybe very close to crossing the line of faith, actually. So it's uh, you know, but I'm not uh, I'm not aware of somebody who would say they've directly come to faith through the uh, through the chaplain uh, in the life of the club yet. Well, but I, guess I, I think I guess it's about building a relationship because it's going to come a day when someone's daddy dies or auntie dies or granny dies or whatever happens, and if you've got that relationship, they're going to say. Hey John, my my auntie's ill, or I'm ill, or somebody's ill. You know what can I? And, and at that op, uh, that's the time when you can say, "Hey, well, let's talk about that." Absolutely, and you do, and <clears throat> and you, you've actually described many of my experiences. You know, because I've taken a number of uh, funerals for you know families you know associated with the club uh, in, in different ways, and you know there's always there's always opportunity. And what you again, what we're called to do is to be faithful and to sow the seed of the yeah. word of God. Yeah. into people's hearts and life hopefully i do that well yeah. uh, and uh, you know you you know that's what you seek to do you seek to be that influence uh you know that light uh in the midst of the situation and it is it's a it's a lovely privilege yeah well, and it's, it's good for me because you, yeah. you know that way when sometimes in christian ministry you can end up very very far removed yeah you know from yeah you, all your time can be taken mm. up with christian people and so what i love about the football club is a it's a world where I'm fully connected uh, with, with folks that you know and, and with don't sport, have the same agenda and with a sport that you love as well. Yeah. Yes, I do. I still enjoy that. Yep. Now I've got a quick question before we move on to more about the Word of God. You've been married to your your um, your wife for Linda for 38 years. Congratulations uh, for that. Uh, that is wonderful. You're a little ahead of us on that. Um, what would you say is the secret? of the longevity of your marriage <laughs> uh, yeah my wife's patience <laughs> <laughs> yes the, uh, but it is yeah, a serious uh, question it is a serious question actually no because, it is can i say know, it is I, I mean the I, and i'll give you i'll give you a very serious very honest answer to it in a sense but linda and i married young and we were only 20 at the time both of us and a lot of people said and and june the 11th uh, will be our 38th wedding anniversary. And uh, so, you know, we, we, we did marry young and a lot of people kind of looked and thought, you know, how, you know, you're too young and how will this work in various other bits and pieces? And, and I think part of the secret for us was that we grew up together. Uh, and so we did, you know, growing up for us, uh, maturing for us, uh, was teamwork uh, and it really was you know we, we we look back at some of the stupid things and foolish things and you know that both of us have done and said and everything else over you know 38 years of marriage uh, but we grew up together and you know 
we can still, you know, 38 years later, uh, you know, hold hands with each other, go for a long walk, look at each other and think, you know, this is incredible, isn't it? How did this happen? You know, uh, you know, it, it, and it's and we love it. It's remarkable. Uh, and I think there's a number of things that are part of that. I think we uh, we would always we always feel as if we've never prayed enough together. We've always prayed, you know, but we've never quite hit a pattern of praying together, you know, uh, that we'd love to have done. So we've looked at that. It'd be great to kind of write that textbook, wouldn't it? You know, because we did this, this and this. All, you know, honestly, we would do well for a while and then we wouldn't do well for a while. Then we'd do well for a while. Then we wouldn't do well for a while. That's been the journey. We'd read together. Uh, and again, that would be really well and not so well and really well and not so well. But I think one of the things we learned to do was not to fret about that because, you know, Christ was, you know, had called us. He was with us. I, he was right in the midst of it all, shaping, molding. I always, I always say that we stand before that altar in order that we'll stand before his altar, you know, uh, and God gives us each other to prepare us for that day when we stand before him. Uh, and so we've been that to one another. Uh, we've always tried to keep, you know, when we've not communicated, that's when problems have arisen. So we've always tried to communicate and to talk as much as we can. And, uh, you know, through different things, we've, we've tried to be careful in busy seasons when you can just get wrapped up the children or the grandchildren, whatever it might be, to still allow space for each other. So we've done all the things that we should do. None of it textbook, uh, you know, in a textbook way. Uh, but we've learned this stuff. And it's funny, actually, you, 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 you get even more, I hope many folks can empathize with this, the, the older you get, you know, it seems the more in love you fall and the more excited you are and almost the more kind of, you know, childlike as a teenager you are again, you know. Uh, and, you know, so, yeah, so Linda's just my best friend in the world, you know, so, and we've just grown up together yeah. uh, and been able to say anything to that we want yeah. to one another. Uh, and, you know, you say, what's the secret of that? Without doubt, it is, you know, it's about, choosing the right person but it's also about being the right person it's always a two-way street yeah uh, and it is about you know learning uh you know just to keep the main things the main things and to yeah. let the small things fall to the ground you know yeah absolutely. Uh, so yeah but very it's good. been a joy yeah very good i think communicating is the key isn't it that is it is key. it is that is such a key now um i'd like to move on to the word of god if we may i mean this is called the bible and me podcast after all yeah and, and I know that you love the word of God. And, and as a ministry, um, <clears throat> God raised up Precept 50 years ago, actually, um, in the States um, to equip people to with practical skills to study the word of God. And, and I think um, the reason that Precept has grown into 180 countries around the world is because God wants people to know him. And uh, he's desperate for people to know him. And, and as a ministry, that's what we're seeking to do, to give people those practical skills so that they can know him, to learn mm. how to study the word of God. So it's important to us, and I know it's important to you. Um, what, why is the word of God important to you? Yeah, I mean, principally, it's the way God speaks to me. I, um, you know, I, I believe the word of God is inspired, authoritative. I believe uh, that God speaks to us in it. And in actual fact, one of the things that I've learned to do uh, is, is first and foremost to listen to the word. You know, I, I remember even the early doors when I became a Christian, people taught me, you know, you must, you know, read your Bible, pray every day. And we, you know, we know all those things. But I, I think it took me a while to get to that place where I learned to read in a way that I was listening. I wasn't doing a task. I was meeting with a person. Mm. And so every time I opened the word, 
I, I don't see it as, as doing a task. I see it as meeting a person. Uh, and I look at the way in which time and time again, you know, God speaks. Uh, and, and I love just slowing down in familiar passages of scripture and rediscovering the wonder, you know. And, and so for me, the, you know, principally uh, why it's so important to me is this is how God speaks to me. Now, I know, you know, God, the Holy Spirit is doing great things and prompting me. In a different, but the reality is God speaks in his word uh, every time. And uh, one of the little disciplines I've just had for years is uh, in the midst of all the stuff that I read, and I read big chunks of scripture every day, uh, I always actually just look for one little verse that, that I write at the foot of my diary. My, you know, I still like, a, although I've got all the computerized ones, I actually like, you know, just a, a written diary so yeah. that I just write in pen and I take my time just to write it out, write out a text uh, every day that he's given me just to focus on. Uh, and it, it's just the way in which he speaks to me. So that's probably the principal reason why. Uh, there are many, many other reasons because I, I, I just love knowing more of the revelation of who he is. Amen. Oh, oh, all of that. As a staff team, as a staff team, we meet in the morning and we, we read we read some scripture and then we pray. Um, and we're, we're working through the Psalms at the moment. So so we're reading a Psalm a day as a staff team and praying about it. And um, just literally this week, um, well, last week, we came across... Um, psalm 115 and and the opening verse of 115 just sort of smacked me between the eyes and it says this not to us O lord not to us but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness and and isn't it the case that yes you know we we can read great swathes and your pastor and your teacher and you know you will study it to to preach it but sometimes you'll just read a word and it'll, and it'll just sort of it's like a speed bump it just sort of stops you in your tracks and you say wow what a beautiful beautiful verse and that's that's the power of scripture isn't it, it it's able it to is absolutely and i think that's that discovering the wonder isn't it just something comes afresh and yeah yeah, yeah. now do you have a favorite book of the bible or character yeah, I, I mean, probably my, I mean, it's hard, isn't it, when you, you pose that question, because there's so many. John's Gospel has has been so influential uh, in my life, and obviously in the Word One-to-One, -one, it's the Gospel that we, we use uh, to, to teach people to become joyful Bible sharers. So John's Gospel uh, has probably played a huge part. Uh, in my life and still continues to and I, and I love to preach out of it and I love just to read it and to to soak it in uh, and actually you know there, there are many many characters but in actual fact I, I find John the writer of the gospel the more you know and again you know obviously my name is John but the uh, but I find I find his character there's something about him uh, that does just enthrall me so yeah and of course he didn't just write John's gospel did he well, that's right. You know, you, you, it's great because, you know, you look at the letters, you know, you look at Revelation, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's incredible. And uh, there's it, something about that. And even reading of him and his relationship to Jesus and, you know, just unpacking so much of that. I just, you know, there, there's something about him that uh, that draws me in. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, you've you said you mentioned word one to one and um and I'll be interviewing um, Richard Borgonian. Oh, bless you. He's a great, great guy. Great yeah. guy. Uh, but yeah, John's gospel, it is, a, it is a powerful, powerful gospel, isn't it? Um, we, we, we've got a study uh, on John's gospel called um, God, Are You There? Do You Care mm. About Me? Based on John's gospel, which has been very, very, very good. Great title. Well. And um, 
Yeah, I think there's so many beautiful things in that gospel, aren't there? Just the way that it starts, mm. you know. In the oh. you know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, and you cited that verse, John 10, 10, you know, I, I came mm. that you may have life and life in all its fullness. And, you know, who doesn't want life in all its fullness? Who who doesn't want that? And And, and people say, well, I want that. Well then, well then, you need to investigate the person of Jesus Christ and understand what He's done for you, and be a disciple of His. You know, and I love at the, at the end of the gospel, doesn't it? Where He says, "These things have been written, but there's a whole lot more that could have been written." <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I could, you know, like yourself, I could sit there and, and wax eloquent about so many parts of that. And I, again, uh, I love the fact that somebody who's with Jesus, eyewitness, wants to communicate all that he knows about him, as you said so beautifully, you know, here's the author of life itself, extending life to us. And I just think, oh, you know, this is, it doesn't get any better than this. You know? Know. <laughs> and all those I am statements, you know, I am oh. the way, I am the truth, I, yeah, am, the, the, oh. I am the door, and uh, you know, I am the good shepherd. Um, yeah, it really the, the is. Beautiful, the, absolutely it, brilliant, you know. It really is and an it, incredible gospel. And, you know, one of the great things as well, because you, you mentioned other things, you know, when you read, you know, 1 John, and, and, you, and the, the left, you see that cyclical style that John uses, yes. where he yes. kind of wheels back to something, wheels back to something, wheels back. And, I mean, Paul's great. He's so linear. You know, you can, you can follow Paul. John, you're sometimes going, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, I just love it. And it just ah, speaks, you know, yeah. volumes. <laughs> well, listen, if you're listening to this and you, you are excited um and uh, interested in getting into John's gospel, you've got two. You've got two options here. You you either go with um, this um, organization called One Word One Two One, which will walk you through John's gospel, or you come to Precept, and we've got uh, some studies in John's gospel as well. So you've got no no excuse, you listeners out there. No <laughs> excuse. I, I'm going to say we should do both because it would be great to study John's gospel and then to take the Word One Two One and to share that with a friend. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Definitely. Definitely. And let us know how you get on. We'd love to hear your stories. Absolutely. Um, now, what about a favorite Bible verse? Yeah, it, interesting enough, I'm not going to take that of John's gospel. I'm going to take that from elsewhere. And it's Ephesians 2 verse 10. Yeah. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. And that, that little verse is, uh, has captured me for years i love that you know our salvation is all of grace yeah you know we, we've never earned this you know we don't deserve this but you are god's workmanship you're god's work of art you know effectively that's what it's saying you know you know god has made you god has called you god's working out his purpose in you uh you know you're god's workmanship created in christ jesus that's where all that work's been done to do that which God has prepared in advance for you to do and I love that sense of the journey each day Nigel of you know of, of going into what God has got for you you know sometimes well the world's worse than the church aren't we for this is what we're planning Lord now would you bless it and God said no here's where we're going today now will you follow you know? <laughs> I, I often I, I've got a lovely friend in the states um uh, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but he refers to the Holy Spirit as Bob. <laughs> I don't ask me. <laughs> and he wakes up in the morning. He says, right, Bob, you know, what have you got for me today? Who have you got that I can bless? Who have you got that I can talk to? What, what What's in store for me today? And I love that 
attitude um, that he has. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a getting up with an expectancy and who am I going to bump into mm. and Lord, what are you going to do? And I just love that. It's, it's, it's yeah. great. It's just no, great. It's, now, it's, um, it's a joy. What is next for you, John? And uh, what could we be praying for you about? Yeah, we'd, we'd love that. If you could be praying for both the word one-to-one and also our passion for life. And the next, I'm in the middle of, in a passion for life, we're working towards the mission event 2022. But because it's very much about a lifestyle of evangelism, we it, currently at the moment, I'm working with a lot of church leaders just in trying to encourage them in their mission culture. But we're right in the deep end of preparing a whole host of uh, personal evangelism training modules that uh, we're going to make them fully available to churches so that churches can bespoke them to their situation. Nobody knows the local church like the local leaders. And so we're trying to produce something that uh, the local leaders can take and bespoke to their situation. So there will be video material, there'll be printed material, there'll be testimonies there that folks can download and use in the personal evangelism training that they want to do in the life of the local church. And we're right in the kind of deep end of the preparation of that. So we're in the the, the pre-production before it goes to production and all the video work and then the post-production editing. The timelines are all very tight because we're trying to get all that available for download for September. So it's a real tight turnaround. Uh, so covet prayers for that. That would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. In terms of word one-to-one, we, we sense just for wisdom, because we sense there's a real uh, opportunity here uh, globally uh, for beginning to kind of roll that into, you know, uh, all manner of uh, churches in order that we can, one of the great things about something like the word one-to-one, I I was speaking earlier on uh, with my my colleague, uh, and I said, you know, it's the most efficient, you know, kind of health supplement you can put into the body of Christ, you know, because if we can, if we can train people and just how to open up the word of God with unbelievers, then in actual fact, it will just automatically have a benefit in the kind of culture that's within that church. Uh, and, and so we, we realize there's real opportunities there. So I'm, I'm continuing to do lots of training with churches and with uh, clusters and with uh, groups of churches, uh, covered prayers for that. But I'm kind of trying to do the big strategic thinking about how do we roll that out and how do we do it in such a way that this is something that just complements where a local church is at. And it's it's something that comes alongside. And when, when our everyday believers have just got that in their toolkit, then in actual fact, everything, you know, flows out of it. A bit of what you were saying about the overflow. When we're in love with Jesus, you know, the overflow comes in terms of our witness. But how do we witness? Very practically, uh, to open up the word of God with someone and to share them, to show them Jesus from the word, you know, in a, you know, a podcast that is, you know, uh, all about the Bible and me and the word. It, for me, it's about letting the Bible do what the Bible does, letting the word do the work that it does. And none of us, you know, can do that. It's got to do that for itself. We've just got to let it loose. Amen. Amen. And you've reminded me, um, John, of my favorite Bible verse. Now, I know you didn't ask me my favorite Bible verse, um, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because it, 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 no, it, 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 it wraps up just what you said. And this is it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 13. And you will know this verse, I am sure. We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. 
which is at work in you believers. Oh, bless you. What a great text to, to bring us to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, John, uh, it's been a joy to chat to you today about your journey. Um, it's been a real privilege. And, uh, you know, coming to faith and uh, how the Lord sort of got you, really, and gave you a real heart for evangelism. I, I, we need evangelists um, and we need people that take those who come to faith as a result of the evangelism and disciple people. You need both. Mm. You, you need the evangelist to go out there and, and, and preach the gospel so that they come into the kingdom, but they don't want to be left as, as newborn babes. They've got to be discipled in the word of God to grow. Uh, and that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the great things is, and, and a big part of the role of the evangelist is to equip the people of God yeah. that they might be able to, you know, communicate the good news of Jesus. And it's one of the things I love about doing evangelism through the word is that there's evangelism and discipleship going on hand in hand there. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, all of us long, don't we, Nigel, for that disciple making disciple culture. Amen. Uh, you know, and, and it's just wonderful. But you know, bless Amen. you. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, it's been a joy to chat to you. I'm really grateful to you for coming on the podcast today. God bless you in your ministry, your work. Stay safe. Go well. Uh, and let's pray that there's a harvest, a huge harvest in the kingdom as a result of what you're doing in this project that you're involved with, uh, meeting with church leaders and, and encouraging them to reach out as well. We need it. We need bold, confident Christians, unashamed to stand in these troubled times in which we live because we have a hope that we can share. Oh, thank you, Nigel. Amen. Amen. So thank you so much, John.